So if you've been tracking with us throughout the uh, Sundays of this past Lent, you know we've been following a kind of theme of walking with Luther uh, through uh, his uh, unique expression uh, and uh, helpful interpretation of the uh, biblical texts that were used uh, as part of the lectionary at that time while uh, that we haven't used here at Bethlehem, I don't think since Bethlehem started, uh, and that uh, gives us a, a little bit of a different perspective on that Lenten journey. And you uh, can see how through the course of this Lent, beginning with uh, the uh, first Sunday, uh, the idea of Jesus' victory over the devil, plundering the devil's kingdom, freeing us from slavery to sin, death, and the power of the devil, has uh, turned more towards the theme of now what is life like in Christ's kingdom? How Christ reigns over us now as king and what we can look for and expect from him as our Lord and Savior. In our uh, gospel lesson this morning, we uh, hear again the same gospel lesson that Martin Luther preached on uh, almost 500 years ago in 1534. And uh, in that uh, sermon, he actually focuses on the reference it contains to Zechariah's prophecy in our Old Testament lesson. Wait for it. There we go. Uh, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. What Luther especially keyed in on was this kind of surprising mode of entry, uh, riding in on a donkey. Uh, It's kind of, uh, you know, you can imagine if a president were to be sworn in to the Oval Office and he showed up at the swearing-in ceremony riding in on a donkey, uh, it would be a little strange, Um, maybe even more strange than it was at the time, but it was still strange at the time because uh, a donkey was not a kingly mount. And uh, you can maybe draw a more reasonable uh, kind of parallel if you were to picture a president getting sworn in in jeans and a hoodie. They say, well, Seems a little casual, doesn't it? What, where's the pomp and circumstance? Isn't he trying to project power and authority? Well, in Luther's day, uh, the same thing was true, maybe even more so in Bible th- than in Bible times, that uh, a king would come in on a, a royal charger, a massive stallion, a big old war horse, uh, to uh, show uh, his power and his authority. Jesus comes in humble and gentle, mounted on a a colt, the foal of a donkey. And uh, Luther uh, highlights how that uh, drives home uh, uh, Jesus' reign that comes in a very different way than earthly kings. Uh, that Jesus' reign and rule is not like the, the kings of the earth uh, who reign by power and force. Uh, but Jesus comes uh, with 
gentleness and righteousness with spiritual blessings in, over a spiritual kingdom. And uh, the connection to Zechariah Luther makes is how we should have seen it coming. There's no excuse to, to miss the boat, uh, which is a phrase he actually uses. Uh, there's no excuse to, to miss the boat on Jesus, even though he comes in an unexpected way, because God told us way back in the time of Zechariah, this is how your king will come. Uh, I think it's interesting. Uh, Luther certainly makes a good point. We've been following Luther, but here at the end of the Lent, I kind of want to freewheel a little bit if I can, and, and maybe at least add some more to this uh, beyond that, because there's really some great stuff in this text besides that. Uh, It starts off and continues to ultimately lead to a beautiful uh, and important gospel application of uh, Zechariah and uh, John's reference to it, that we don't have to be afraid. John references this passage uh, from Zechariah and applies it to Jesus to remind us that Jesus' coming means we don't have to be afraid. And that's a really good and beautiful thing in a, in a world that's so full of fear. Like I said, there's, there's a, a pretty significant highlight on this. When you, you look back to the Old Testament lesson, you'll notice that Zechariah's exact quote is, Rejoice, daughter of Zion. Shout aloud. Uh, that he's uh, calling for joy and celebration. Uh, the Holy Spirit who inspired uh, John to uh, write this reference to Zechariah, which the Holy Spirit also inspired, uh, in- interprets those words for us in this, this reference to uh, tell us, why we should rejoice. The cause for our rejoicing is that we don't have to be afraid. That we can rejoice and be glad, shout aloud with joy uh, over that wonderful blessing. That we don't have to be afraid. And that's such a blessed thing because we typically are. Oh, there's a lot in this world to be afraid of. Well, you can point to uh, many uh, obvious and, and specific things that uh, uh, are very scary. And just look at the, the shootings, uh, the uh, wars, famines, so much. Uh, sadness and and suffering in the world. Uh, But perhaps even more than that, uh, are the the subconscious fears that are always playing on us and and working on us, rooted in our our sense of vulnerability. One of the most common fears people will talk about isn't of something necessarily external or specific, but the fear of failure, uh, fear of rejection by others, as well as, of course, the fear of physical suffering. Uh, Oftentimes, 
prey on our minds even if we're not aware of it. In subtle ways, you go to the uh, gas station, you see the price of gas, and you go, oh, man, how am I going to pay for that? Am I going to be able to make the budget work with the bills going up? And you feel a little afraid of what the future may hold, of how you'll be provided for. Uh, All those subtle things can easily take over our lives to add up to uh, living a life filled with fear. Our gospel lesson goes out of its way uh, to interpret the significance of of Jesus' coming, the reason for our celebration at Jesus' coming, uh, to be that he comes to free us from fear. You don't have to be afraid. Why is that? Well, fear not, daughter of Zion, because your king is coming. And your king is coming is a a powerful proclamation if you you see it in the whole big context. You can take it all the way back to the prophet Samuel, actually, uh, to kind of inform what this means that your king is coming. Israel originally didn't have a king. They just followed the word of the prophets. Uh, Samuel came, said, God says, and the people said, okay. At least they were supposed to. Uh, But after a while, they started saying, we want a king like the nations. All these other nations around us have a king, and it seems cool, and we want to be like them. All the other kids have a king. And so, Saul, King Saul was the the first king of Israel, and he failed miserably. He failed to follow God, and he failed to lead the people in righteousness. And uh, as Samuel warned them, it created more problems than they expected, more problems than benefits. Then followed David. And King David was a man after God's own heart. And in many ways, he gave a a glimmer and a glimpse of the king that would come on Palm Sunday. But he, too, was only human. And he fell short. And he failed in many, many ways as well. And it ultimately just rolled on down the line of David's heirs uh, that eventually the, the kings became so wicked and the people followed them in such wickedness uh, that Israel was conquered by the enemy kings they had wanted to emulate. And they fell under the dominion of foreign kings. And even when they returned from captivity in Babylon, they were still under foreign rule. They were only a district of Babylon without a king of their own. And Zechariah then prophesies uh, to the first generation of uh, Jewish people who had returned to Jerusalem and we're back home again 
on their own native soil, rebuilt the city, rebuilt the temple, and things were good again, except they still don't have a king. They're still under Babylon. And Zechariah says to them, Rejoice, your king is coming. Your king is coming. You will have your own king once again. You will not be under the oppression of foreign rulers, under the whims of foreign powers. Not to delve too deep into side stories, but you can remember if you know the story of Esther, just how vulnerable the Jewish people were under the power of foreign peoples who could decide to racially cleanse them at any time if they became unpopular. Uh, Zacharias says, your king is coming. That king uh, who will give you perfect peace forever as promised uh, to uh, David and his offspring. That king who will free you from the fear of your enemies. That's, of course, a good thing. Now, Jesus comes to fulfill that very word. He comes not like a king of the nations, very much unlike a king of nations. As Luther said, sitting on a donkey's colt, he comes in humility, with gentleness. Uh, again, the, uh, some of the extra information in Zechariah that John's reference leaves out is very helpful here, too, to uh, highlight the nature of Jesus' coming kingdom. Uh, it says, Behold, your kingdom, king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Uh, that his blessings and his benefits are not earthly blessings and benefits, your king isn't coming to you with gold and silver and tanks and aircraft carriers. Your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. His power is not earthly power. His power is that of righteousness. His gifts are, are not those of, of wealth and prosperity, uh, but salvation from sin, death, and the devil. And he comes uh, very clearly pointing this out, ultimately, to Pontius Pilate. As he tells him, my kingdom is not of this world. And that's an important thing for us, too. As we think about the significance of God coming as king, for many people, that in itself is kind of a terrifying concept. God is coming. Well, how is he going to judge me? God is coming. Have I done enough to please him? God is coming. Have I earned a place in his kingdom? If God came as angry judge and condemning uh, a judge, then uh, that would be the, the greatest source of fear over everything else. 
Um, but John tells us, do not be afraid. You can greet God with joy and rejoicing because this king comes not to judge, not to condemn the world, uh, but to give his life as a ransom for many. He comes in gentleness and mercy uh, to free us from all fear. When we apply this to ourselves, it's very clear that the kings of the nations or a king like them uh, is not what we should be looking for or what we should put our confidence in. We don't look for our salvation uh, from the, the kings of the world uh, or anything like them. We look to Christ. His righteousness and gentleness are our salvation. And we seek his kingdom and his righteousness most of all. As we are taught to pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. Indeed, his revelation ties up the whole message of Scripture, uh, teaching the church to pray, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. Amen.